Hello everyone and welcome to the Martial Arts Journey podcast. This time I have yet another great guest. Uh, his name is Paul Sharp, a BJJ black belt, also active police officer and I would say a self-defense expert. Uh, so the short story behind how I got into contact with uh, with Paul. So first of all, I it came from the interview of Matt Thornton, the martial arts legend, uh, very influential uh, martial artist who had a positive influence on the whole martial arts world in terms of bringing the term of aliveness and, and many other things. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, make sure you do listen to it. And as I was talking to Matt uh, and asking about self-defense uh, and also the difference between combat sports and self-defense, I realized uh, there are a bit of a situation of two different camps. So one camp says that self-defense and combat sports are entirely different uh, fields. Uh, some people are kind of in the middle, in between, that uh, saying that there is a connection between that there's a connection between the two but they're not entirely the same so in other words if you practice combat sports uh, just combat sports it's not going to be enough for self-defense that are, these are two different things and another another camp is about saying that actually there's a very small difference between combat sports and self-defense so there are some aspects you need to adjust but if you are good at combat sports and have some extra knowledge about self-defense you're fine to go uh, while Matt himself, uh, uh, the way I recognized it, he's in the camp of, and from the conversation, it was clear that he is saying that the idea of combat sports and self-defense being entirely different fields is, is fallacy. And uh, but yet, I also spoke to some other experts like Bruno Roscoe, who has more of an opinion that these are quite separate realms and so wanting to get the best answers really wanting to dig down to the truth I decided uh, to keep on asking further and uh, when I was talking to Matt he mentioned about his student uh, namely Paul Sharp who is an active police officer working in a difficult part of the states so definitely has a lot of experience and that he mentioned that he does promote BGJ as a very important part of self-defense I was very intrigued by that and uh, I couldn't just resist without asking uh, Matt Thornton for his help to connect with Paul and he did help me and that is how this interview happened. So we will definitely touch the subject of what I just mentioned about uh, self-defense, combat sports uh, quite a bit in this podcast. Also a lot of great other subjects like some more uh, self-defense specific uh, related questions uh, like even uh, the difference between uh, so what the reality behind the knife defense also reality behind the, defending yourself against a gun and just a lot of great questions uh, Paul Sharp had a very good way of answering the questions uh, very precise very simple so I'm sure you will benefit a lot from listening to the podcast and I hope that you will find as many answers as I did so without further ado I'll let you listen to the podcast enjoy the very first question, if I could ask at least a little bit about your uh, background in terms of um, uh, if, if people don't know about you, so what, what do you feel is essential? Uh, sure. Okay. So let's see, I started training and actually when I was in very young, um, in probably six, seven years of age, I began to train in um, wrestling, uh, which was in, in the United States. It's uh folk style or you know school a lot of the schools have wrestling in the 
as part of the curriculum at school. So I started wrestling and boxing. A lot of my family, my uncles, grandfathers, great uncles, they all box. So actually, those are my first martial arts. And then uh, I kind of journeyed into uh, Eastern martial arts, uh, Weishiru, uh, Ishinru, a little bit of Goju, but not too much. Uh, and then American Kempo, and then uh, the kind of the roots of American Kempo, which was the uh, Chinese Kempo, and um, Judo, all that kind of stuff. And then in the 90s, I ran into guys from uh, the Jeet Kune Do kind of family, so to speak. And I began that journey. And that was really what led me to where I am now, because I began to really seek the truth in a fight or in combat. Like, what really happens, what really comes into play, what, what is necessary, and kind of the Jeet Kune Do philosophy of constantly trying to pair away and kind of shave off the unnecessary elements really drove me hard to really seek for what do I really need, you know, not what's cool, what's fun, but what do I really need right now? And I kept coming back to the same answers, which was boxing and wrestling that I already had, mm. and then the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So mm. that kind of was the final component for me on the ground. That mm. really uh, plugged in all the holes there as mm. far as how to finish it once I hit the ground. And so that was kind of what led me to where I am today. That was the journey. I mean, I still I love to play around and every now and then do a little stick fighting and that kind of stuff. And I teach uh, knife defense and uh, as well as firearms and stuff like that because I feel like that's all part of being a complete martial artist. Right. So, you, you, yeah, you need to be able to handle everything that comes your way, whether it's a verbal engagement all the way up until, um, you know, a lethal, what could potentially be a lethal engagement. So I feel like as martial artists and especially as one that coaches others, that's kind of a requirement I think to have that knowledge so that's right. what drives me to constantly keep looking you know mm. and keep searching for what's the truth and whether I know the truth or not right uh so many questions there right now for me but uh one more thing uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, uh so I guess this is not a secret I read online that you are an active officer uh, is that still yes. that no secret okay uh -huh. so uh do you feel that supports your Mm, kind of your not necessarily only only development but but being a self-defense instructor uh, do you think that's like for example I'm, I'm starting to look at self-defense uh, hopefully becoming an instructor uh, because I feel it's not just about the certificate it's also about knowing this but do you feel it's uh, how much it's complimentary do you feel a self-defense instructor should have experience uh, on the street working uh, a job which which includes that or what, what do you think about that uh, that's a good question. And that's a question that comes up a lot um, in various circles, like how much real world experience do you need versus theoretical, or even just kind of dojo academy gym experience, you know. And so that's kind of one of those questions that's, it's multifaceted, right. So if we think about it, because to have experience in fighting, in the street, so to speak, you know, to have experience in real fights means that at some point you made a bad decision, mm. right? Because that's how you got selected or that's how you ended up in those circumstances. Yeah, right. And so 
if you made a bad decision, then probably there's some other issues you should be looking at as far as your personality or, you know, <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> there might be some questions there as far as my character goes. If I'm getting in street fights every day, then I might have something wrong with me. And um, I think also as a, as a police officer, you want to be aggressive because you want to, you know, crush crime. You want to find the criminals and lock them up. But I also think that within law enforcement, that's also a red flag. If you have a guy who every day is getting into a fight, every day is getting these escalating circumstances that he can't de-escalate, and so they turn into a fight. So I think that's a that's an interesting question. I think it helps. I would say to have some sort of background as a professional where you deal with violence, you deal with people who are not cooperative, you deal with people who uh, you have to de-escalate. So you have to be verbally agile, mentally agile, as well as physically able to handle yourself, regardless of whatever the circumstances, wherever the confrontation goes, you need to have the ability to handle it. And, but at the same time, I think outside of a professional environment, it's probably not the best thing to put on your resume that you've been in thousands of fights, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know that, that might not be a good thing, you know, but I think to some degree, I think it helps, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I don't want to discount people who don't have that background and say they have nothing to offer because I have friends that don't have that background. I have um, friends who aren't in law enforcement or military, but they have value. They've added value to my training as far as understanding things and things to apply, things to discard, um, things like that. So yeah, I so I guess to answer as simply as possible, it helps, but it's not a requirement. I see. Cool. That's good to hear from you <laughs> because I'm very, very passionate about the self-defense subject, but I do sometimes ask myself, so is that okay that I'm not a, I'm not experienced so much in the setting, in real setting, but, uh, but so that was great to hear. Uh, the, the next thing I would like to ask is, so a big thing on my mind, uh, and I keep on bouncing back and forth and right now I'm somewhere in the middle with this. So there's combat sports, uh, mm -hmm. and there's self-defense and I see two camps. Sure. One camp is self-defense is very different from combat arts and, and those, those people, and even some, some experts that, that I listen to, those people would, would agree that the combat sports has value, but they would see, see that there's a big gap between the two. And there's this, the, mm -hmm. the camp of combat sports is almost enough. You only need to add a little bit. Which again, I see also the point. So, so I'm very sure. interested to, to hear what, what's what's your perspective about the matter. Yeah. So, I, I see that a lot, and I see both sides because I have friends that can articulate both sides of that argument. Mm. And I fall more in the camp of if you have a very deep fight fighting sports or uh, background, then it's probably easier to tweak you a little bit to make you very dangerous on the street. Uh, we run through the ShivWorks group. We run these courses where we have guys come in from all backgrounds, uh, military, police, non-military, you know, everything in between. And we have guys come in and they uh, basically we start with, I'm not, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, simunitions. 
pistols, but basically they're guns that fire a marking cartridge. So it's like a plastic pellet. And so you can very quickly find out if something works or not as far as like disarms and that kind of thing. So when a guy tells you he's a counter gun, he has a counter gun curriculum, it's very simple to test it, you know. It's like, here, dude, let's go. You know, glove up and bang, right? So we have guys come in, and overwhelmingly, the guys who excel are guys who have some sort of combat sports background because we can tweak them a little bit. Just make them aware that maybe there's another guy involved. So, yes, you're fighting one-on-one with someone, but he might have a friend that's going to get involved. He might have another person get involved. And we have, we call them evolutions, so they're scenarios. Mm. And we have these situations where we will have two-on-one or three-on-one. And overwhelmingly, the guys that do well are the guys who have a solid background in some sort of combat sports. Um, Because you can tweak them a little bit. Mm. You know, you can take a guy and say, Hey, if you, if you go to guard in this situation, it's dangerous. Mm. So immediately turn them over, stand up and make space. So who's going to be better at turning somebody over really quickly, sweeping someone right from the guard than a guy who does it every day in the gym. So it's easy to take these guys and say, here you go, man, listen, you went to guard and that's, great if we were in a sport environment or we're in a one-on-one even a one-on-one street fight if you have a guy who has a killer guard game he's probably going to wreck most people however he has what if the guy that you have in your guard has a buddy who just noticed that he can now kick you in the head Mm -hmm. so turn him over get up get space and deal with the problem and so it's so much easier just to tweak those guys so i kind of lean Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I fully admit, you know, I might have some bias there since I am so deeply uh, invested in, in these arts. Um, but from what I've seen over the years um, in those scenarios, that's usually what happens is those guys excel with just a little bit of tweaking. So you can take a guy and say, hey, man, listen, you know, rather than trying to get into some complicated, you know, jab, cross, hook, you know, long knee to a kick, how about you just have a killer jab cross one after another, almost like a, a straight blast, knock this guy backwards off of you, make some space and get out of there, you know, before his buddies can get involved. So it's just a little, a little bit of tweaking. I don't know if that answered the question or not, but yeah, 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 sure. Uh, but so in terms of that little tweaking, just, just to further elaborate this. So, so could you name a few, I think you actually mentioned a few points. Uh, so not, getting the other person in the guard. Uh, but, sure. but in a sense of what would you say, because there's some people who believe that combat sports is entirely enough. I'd say the, the extreme of that, of that side, yeah, like, okay, no yeah. boxing and that's it. But, but that, that's, that's where I feel as well. Like there are things people should know still, those tweaks. Sure. So you help those people out who are so sure that yeah. combat is just enough what what's the things they should know or should address in their training yeah so they're going to need to know so if we look at jiu-jitsu so the reason i like jiu-jitsu is because it's probably the most codified of uh, the the various strains of jiu-jitsu so or grappling arts so jiu-jitsu 13th century Jap- japan jiu-jitsu was an art so that you had something you had an option if you found yourself unarmed in a battlefield i mean it was a it was a combat art it was a battlefield art. 
And if you look at the art from different countries and civilizations, you often will find two guys depicted in the artwork with swords, short swords, trying to shove the pointy end of the sword into each other while mm -hmm. having wrist, lock, wrist uh, ties on each other. So mm -hmm. you'll have the sword, one guy will have a wrist tie, like his left hand will have a wrist tie on the right hand of the other guy, and they'll be locked up in this kind of neutral position, 50-50 position, battling for superior position so they can kill the other guy. Mm. And so I would say that that's the tweaking that needs to be made is you have to kind of have this conversation with the sportsman and, and explain to him. So on the street, you're going to need pre-contact cues. You're going to need to understand verbalization. You're going to need to understand how to de-escalate and deter. Mm. Um, Andy Stanford said it best, which was avoidance, deterrence, and de-escalation. If you live a life devoted to that, you'll never need another skill. Mm. And so, although it's impossible, right, to, and I fully subscribe to that, and I count Andy as a mentor, um, I also look at it as you have to think about that realistically. Sometimes violence and sometimes evil comes to you. You can live in the nicest neighborhood and they will come to your neighborhood. They will find you because if I was going to hunt deer, which I don't, but if I were going to hunt deer, I would go to the woods. I wouldn't go to the shopping center. You know, I would go to the woods. And so if someone wants to commit a violent act for the purpose of obtaining property or financial gain, they're going to go where the money is, mm. right? So that's a nice neighborhood. You know, so that's what we have to look at. And that's how, so I, I have those conversations with people where we talk about those kinds of things. We talk about how to engage verbally with someone that you are trying to deescalate or deter from further violence. And, and there's cues, there's things you can say and can't say. Um, for instance, there's a difference between telling someone to back up, mm. you know, or even, and, and even use foul language. You know, and, you know, back the F up versus back up you MFR, you know, mm -hmm. right? So in one case, I'm directing this person to back up. In the other case, I'm directing them to back up while calling them a name, which is going to what? It's going to kick them in the ego. Now, whether they wanted to walk away or not, they can't because yeah. I pushed that button and, and they have to fight now. They have to take a stand. And so there's things like that that you have to teach people. And I think that's a crucial part of what we do in our foundations courses in my academy is we talk about verbal de-escalation. We talk about mm -hmm. um, dealing with various forms of criminal assaults so that guys understand before they get too far into the sports side, because it's more fun. Let's admit, you know, the, the sports side of things is fun. You, you sweat, you roll around, you have fun, you know, you submit each other, you know, or if you're boxing, you, you tag a guy and he kind of rings his bell and you laugh about it later and you give him grief. And so it's a bonding experience too. But underneath of all that fun and camaraderie, you have to have that foundation of this is what real violence is. This mm -hmm. is how you deal with it. And most of all, you never want to have to deal with it by practicing avoidance and deterrence and de-escalation. So mm -hmm. that's what I, that's, kind of my approach, that's the approach of a lot of the guys in the organization I'm in, the Straight Blast Gym. And so we, we always keep in mind that first and foremost, this is, a, this is about fighting, first mm -hmm. and foremost. And then secondly, 
the the um, the secondary benefits of sports and camaraderie and building a tribe and all that good stuff that's second but first and foremost you have to be able to defend yourself against anyone with anything from a harsh word up to a hand grenade you got to be able to get it on so um so all of my questions or most of them are, are very much connected so the the answers may support each okay. other but I'm curious, in terms of, I'm very much in love of BJJ, and uh, sure. BJJ <laughs> seems to be uh, also quite respected by the self-defense experts that I that I meet or or talk about. A lot of them see BJJ as in, in high regard, and uh, so this is a positive question and, and a pretty simple one, I guess. How much do, would you say is BJJ percentage-wise is of self-defense in terms of meaning in a self-defense situation? If there's a formula, there's A, B, and C, and D in it. Uh, let's see, boxing, wrestling, or or so. Uh, how sure. much BJJ adds percentage-wise into that formula, if if it's possible to answer? Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's look at it this way. So when we're gonna fight somebody, what's the first thing that we have to like control when we're fighting somebody? It's always gonna be the hands, mm. right? So the hands are what hurt you. Um, in law enforcement, there's an old saying that the hands are what hurts you and especially the hand that you can't see. So if you lose sight of a hand, that's the one that's going to come out with a knife or a, some sort of weapon, or that's the one that's going to hit you. You know, they're going to sucker punch you. So you have to control the hands. So in a fight, I'm going to control the hands first and foremost. I'm going to control the space between myself and my opponent. That's, that's the next almost as high in the hierarchy as controlling the hands is controlling the space because if I control the space, there's an old saying in jujitsu, you control the distance, you control the fight. So, and it's also a saying in boxing. If you control the distance, you control the pace and uh, what they call ring generalship, which is the ability to put somebody into a corner and that kind of thing, or put somebody into the ropes and get them out of their corner so they can't hear their coaches. So there's that aspect. So, and then the third thing I want to do is once I control the space, the hands in the space, I want to get myself into a really good position, what we would call a dominant position, and then finish them. Um, I don't want to hang out. I don't want to spend any more time with this person or, or around this person, and especially if they have friends that are getting involved. So I would say it's hard for me at this point to say where one thing stops and another begins because to me, Boxing is part of my jiu-jitsu. It's my striking aspect of my jiu-jitsu. Um, so I don't box like a traditional boxer any longer. I stand more like a jiu-jitsu or judo guy that punches. So <laughs> I, um, I kind of have a weird, you know, my boxing coach yells at me all the time about it. But uh, I, I kind of stand with the perspective or the, the, the mindset that I'm looking to close the distance behind punches or, or underneath of their punches and take up all the space and then get a dominant position where they're standing or on the ground. If it's standing, I want a dominant position because a dominant position standing equals a throw. That means I'm going to throw them. If I hit them with the earth at the speed of gravity, they probably aren't going to get up. So especially against multiple opponents, when you start throwing people that really starts to break things up. So no pun intended, right? Like breaks their body. But yeah. so for me, um, I, I, man, I would say for me, it's all jujitsu because mm -hmm. to me at this point, it's all just my jujitsu. It's all 
the strikes lead to control, which leads to dominance. So it's it's hard for me to to separate it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, even you, even the way I do knife work and that kind of stuff is based in my understanding and deepening understanding of jujitsu and the concepts there. Mm. I see. Well, I guess to to, to clarify it, uh, not only myself but for others as well. There's still the difference then between jujitsu and the the sports jujitsu. So it it sounds like the jujitsu you do is first of all for you jujitsu is, is a whole package. It's not just the the sports yeah. aspect because for for sure. quite a few people that I meet, primarily Brazilian jujitsu is the sports aspect, and then self defense is on sure. the side. But for you, it's yeah yeah. The other way around. Mm. Yeah, it's all it's all mixed together for me. So, and I don't know if it's because of my profession, uh, life experiences. You know how that is. Uh, that all influences how we do things, right? Our our perspective is a combination of our life experiences and our education and that and that kind of thing. So, my perspective drives me towards that practice of the art. But I also understand the sport side the guys who want to just practice the sport and kind of leave the self-defense like they probably learned the self-defense stuff in the beginning um, there is kind of a standardized curriculum that i've found in almost every jiu-jitsu school i've been to all over the country um, and in you know, other parts of the world as well they have a standardized uh, kind of curriculum that's the, the self-defense part of the art and then they kind of go away from it over time because there's so much to learn. Like any sport, the, it's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. What's winning today is, you know, it's like any sport, right? So F1 racing, whatever car is winning today, whatever making that car win, there's somebody else trying to design something to beat it. So it's the same in jujitsu. And that's the beauty, I guess, of sports too, is the evolution, the constant evolution. But so I understand. I mean, I have friends that compete or avid competitors and do very well. They are constantly studying tape, constantly reading, constantly going to other schools to try to see what's cooking, you know, what's next, what am I going to face next time I'm on a mat and competition. And so for them, it's, it's almost like a time management thing where they have so many hours in a week and they have to devote it to winning the sport that they're involved in. With that said, I wouldn't want to fight them on the street, though, <laughs> because they're dangerous, you know. And if you think about it, like I've been to some other training sessions. I remember going to a training session with a friend recently, getting ready for Worlds. He was so exhausted at the ending, end of his training session, his whole body was in mus muscle spasms. And he couldn't walk. He couldn't move. And then he finally recovered and sat up enough to kind of laugh about everything. He had aches and pains everywhere. He had a torn shoulder, um, a torn, torn bicep, and he's still training like a madman. Through So his pain tolerance is out of this world. This was his third training session of the day. He had lifted weights and did conditioning work in the morning. He had done a judo practice at lunch, and then at night he was doing straight just jujitsu practice based on the rules of the competition he's getting ready for. And he had rolled in this jujitsu session, getting ready for the practice. 
10 minute rounds and he had done 10 10 minute rounds. So it's a hundred minutes with the 30 second break in between with a different opponent each time. Mm-hmm. So that's not a guy you're going to be able to easily dispatch on the street. You know, <laughs> like yeah. that is a tough pain tolerant, resolute individual. If mm-hmm. he makes his mind up to do something and that thing that he's made his mind up is to destroy the person that's trying to hurt him. It's mm-hmm. going to go bad. Like he might not win, but that other guy's life's going to be permanently altered. Like mm-hmm. there's going to be some damage done. And mm-hmm. so I don't get discount those guys, you know, just like I wouldn't discount a guy who doesn't do any sport from mm-hmm. having the ability to defend himself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a friend of mine teaches gun classes, self-defense classes in the United States. And, uh, he says often that people defend themselves with no training whatsoever mm. every day. You know, the, the little grandma with the, with the old hunting rifle that tells the guy to get out of her house, she just defended herself with no training, you know. Um, so there, there's both sides of that argument. It's, a, it's the same coin, you know, mm. but I kind of look at it like, the guys who are so far into the sport that they lose sight of the dangers of the street side of it, such as like going inverted, like you would never do that on the street. Mm. And my friends that are deep into the sport where they do do things like that, where they'll go inverted, um, having conversations with them, they all know never Mm. to like, you know, it's almost like, why would, why would I go inverted on concrete? You know, that would suck, you know? So, you know, so it's one of those things where I think it's kind of a little bit of maybe on one side of the fence, guys see the sport and they think these guys don't understand Mm. not to do that in the street. And while on the other side, the guys that are deep in the sport kind of look at it like, well, yeah, but why would I do that in the street? Like, why do you think I'm that dumb? You know? So it's kind of that. You know, like, yeah, uh, yeah you know, yeah, that, totally, you know, so I don't know if that answered the question. Or uh, not. Yeah, yeah, totally. It, it's interesting. It's it's great what you're saying. I, uh, it resonates with me that it's, it, well, uh, part of my questions and part of the whole discussion in general these days comes from the internet. And the internet sure. is a lot about just trying to find something to pick on. And I think maybe yeah. that's part of it, that it's it's easy to sure. have idea that oh if if the person isn't just in the sports aspect he will fail but but when when you say when you said your perspective it's it's quite clear it's 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 a great point that it's it's not the final answer doing just just the sports aspect but it makes a big big difference which i think too many people discount yeah yeah and i think too you know like you you brought up a good point which is the internet um needing the divisiveness you know Mm -hmm. because if we were to try to find all of the commonalities and realize that a lot of times we're just talking past each other and we're actually kind of saying the same thing with little differences, then there wouldn't be anything to argue about. The internet would probably implode. And then, you know, we would just spend our time training, you know, (laughs) so we wouldn't have anything, you know, that time spent arguing would just be spent training or having some good food and drinking coffee and having conversations (laughs) about, what we enjoy, you know, (laughs) so life might, might be better, you know, I agree. I agree. Um, Something about self-defense also uh, that I want to ask. Uh, It's, it's also related to internet, uh, but 
with people you meet, people who come to your courses as well, uh, what would you say is the biggest misconception that you see either online or with people you meet or, or both, uh, especially in terms of self-defense? Like, do, do people have something really off where, where you're concerned? You hear that people have this common belief about self-defense and you have to just correct them and say, well, this is not it. Is there something, when, when, I, when I say about that, is there something that comes to your mind? Yeah. Um, so two things. One, I think the misconception is that, and this is from outside of people that I meet, is mm. that people who are interested in self-defense or learning how to be self-sufficient and be able to protect themselves is that they're bloodthirsty, hunting for an opportunity to kill somebody or do some sort of kung fu fighting, kicking people in the face, tearing throats out. I've never met those people. Mm. And I've, I've taught literally, I would say hundreds of courses at this point. I've mm. never met that guy. Um, not trying to think of one and I can't, <laughs> you know, I've never, I've never met anybody that wasn't a genuinely good person, you know, mm. because the people that come to these courses, and do this training or, or they're, they're trying to deal with, sometimes they're dealing with significant trauma, mm. you know, either childhood trauma or they were the victim of a crime. And so they're dealing, they're working their way through this. And so they might have a little um, quirkiness or, or maybe a little different, but that's a defense mechanism based on the trauma they've experienced. And so I don't judge them because I feel like give them a minute let them kind of work their way through this stuff and then they're going to be okay. And without fail, that's been the case. Um, I have a friend who she messages me on um, Facebook frequently. She lives in Europe and she was a, uh, targeted and the victim of a, a brutal uh, sexual assault. And she has over time been able to retake that part of herself that she felt like had been um, taken, I guess, for lack of a better word, that um, her sense of security and uh, well-being and her ability to feel safe. And over time, training uh, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and then training with some self-defense instructors, she's been able to kind of recapture that. But in the beginning, it's interesting to look at her messages in the beginning compared to her messages later to me where her conversations were driven by this fear that um, in some way something bad would happen to her during training. She really, not from people, but from a panic attack or anxiety because mm -hmm. she didn't want to be held down. She didn't want to be put in certain positions. Sure. And she was able to work through that. And now she's this confident badass, you know, that's taking her life back. And so that would be the probably the biggest misconception is that you're that these guys are all bloodthirsty, which is not the case, man. Not at all, you know. And um, they're they're good people, you know. I, I I dig it. I like being around them, you know. And then the um and then the other thing that I would say that's directly related to self defense as far as misperceptions is uh is that people can take a whole bunch of punches. Like people think a fight is going to be like a movie where you're going to get punched repeatedly and you're going to be okay. And then you're going to make this Rocky uh, or Arnold Schwarzenegger, like comeback where you just eat 
50 punches, half your face is beaten up, and you stand up and launch your counteroffensive. And I'm like, no, by now you have brain damage, and you're probably not, you're probably going to be in a coma, mm-hmm. you know? So it would be that or the thing about knives where people think they're just going to take a knife away from somebody. Like, oh, yes. that doesn't, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. It's going to be nasty. You're going to get hurt, and it's going to be the fight of your life for your mm-hmm. life. So those are the misconceptions I run into. So, great. Uh, you mentioned knives, and this is something that sooner or later I was about to come come to. Um, there's there's few different topics themes in the self defense aspect, which I feel people either misinterpret they they understand it not in a great way, uh, and it's just a, a tough subject in general. So I'm looking for the best answer I can, and I'm slowly coming in into it but i would really love to hear what's what what's what's your basic approach to to knife defense what are the main things to focus on and how does it work okay so with the knife um jerry wetzel has a program called red zone Mm -hmm. which is probably the best program i mean i say probably because you know i don't want to sound like Jerry's a friend, so I don't want to sound like I'm saying he's the best when I really want to say he's the best. <laughs> but it really is a, a fantastic knife defense program. And what we have found is that you have to isolate the weapon-bearing arm. That weapon-bearing arm, you have to shut it down. You have to stop that thing from punching holes in you. And the best way to do that is to get both of your hands on that arm, mm-hmm. lock it behind the guy if you can, at least get it off away from his core, away from his center where he's strong. You know, I don't know if you can kind of see, but in here I'm strong, right? Out here, you know, I'm not. So if you can isolate that arm away from me, keep that thing, keep that weapon away, and then drive them into the ground or into uh, some sort of stationary object and pin them there until you can figure out how to deal with it, that's that's going to be your best bet. It really is a dangerous – We've tested and tested and tested we used marking knives we've used all kinds of shock knives you know the electrical thing it buzzes you when you hit. i heard it's about kind it. of funny because after a while you get used to it so, <laughs> yeah it becomes like a joke you know like a guy a guy sitting on the mat resting or whatever and you walk up behind him and zap him in his neck you know and uh but uh, he they don't appreciate it when you do that i'm just gonna tell you but um, it, it's one of those things where you, you have to isolate that arm and shut it down and not let them have it back because the second they get that back, they're going to keep punching holes in you with that thing. And there's only so much blood, fluids, and air you can leak before your engine shuts down. So that, that's how I approach the knife. And, and like I said, it's based on the work of guys like Jerry Wetzel and Craig Douglas, um, Chris Fry, those guys that, that I've worked with and I've observed what they do. And so I, I've found it to be the best. Wow. Cool. Uh, same question, if I may. Multiple attackers. Sure. Mm. So uh, just multiple attackers. Okay. So with say, a knife? Sorry? Yeah. Uh, yeah not, multiple, no, 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 not necessarily. Yeah. Right. So multiple. I'm not going that far. <laughs> just just multiple attackers because well I mean just yeah right yeah yeah uh, so but just sure well, yeah yeah multiple attackers is it's always yeah please go ahead. As I said with multiple attackers it's always going to be 
Yeah, right. You you got to fight one person at a time. You you have to work it into. You have to use the person that's in front of you. You have to use them as a shield between yourself and the other person or other people. So as much as possible, I'm going to use footwork or control of their body by getting a good position. I'm going to use that control to keep them between myself and the other attackers until I can figure out an, a way of escape or a way to arm myself. Um, I, you know, and I know laws vary in different countries and things, but, you know, realistically, you might get beat to death if you try to deal with multiple attackers empty handed. You know, that's that's reality. Your brain can only take so many kicks, you know, so or punches. And you figure if you're on the ground and you have multiple people kicking and punching you, you're in trouble. You're like, that's some serious body injury that's occurring. So you, you have to isolate one at a time. Isolate the guy in front of you and keep him in front of you so that the others can't get to you. And then as soon as possible, get out of there. Find a way of escape. And if you can't find a way of escape, find a way to arm yourself. You're going to need it. Right. So, arm- and then go like a berserker, man. Because you, yeah, you you got to go like a berserker, man. Because it the time the clock's running down on you. Once multiple opponents get involved, the, the clock starts running. Yeah. And in terms of arming yourself, uh, I presume you mean just grabbing anything like a stick, stone, yeah, or whatever. Grab anything. Grab anything. Yeah, like one of the exercises I tell people to do is you should be able to go into a room, look around, and within a few seconds be able to arm yourself. Oh. You know, every everywhere you go, there's things you can pick up and use as a weapon if you had to. Mm. So just because you don't carry a weapon doesn't mean you can't weaponize, you know, pretty quickly. So, I mean, just sitting here at my desk, there's multiple things I could pick up, and within a few seconds, I'm armed. So... And they're not, none of them are dedicated weapons. I mean, it's a pair of scissors, but, you know, that's still, you know, I mean, within seconds, if I do this, I'm armed, you know. So the second I grab this, I have a weapon. So, I mean, it's for cutting receipts, you know, (laughs) and opening envelopes. It's not really a weapon, but it's better than nothing, you know. And so I tell people, you know, hey, within a few seconds, just make it a daily practice that any room you go into, look around. You know, if you're sitting in a doctor's office, look around. There's there's chairs. There's something. You know, you're never unarmed. You know, it's a mental state. You know, uh, Steinbeck said that the that, that everything else is a supplement to the brain. The brain's the ultimate weapon. So you have to think. You know, and particularly with multiple opponents, man, there's so many things that can go wrong there. So that's such a great point. Uh, it's something I'm thinking about as well in terms of. Uh, one of the critical points for for combat sports for me, or, or I'm a more of a traditional martial artist background, which is worse, <laughs> but, <laughs> but but th- that world specifically. But in combat sports a bit too, there's the skill sets that we develop, and unless somebody tells, like or gives an exercise, where I, I hear that, that sounds like such a great exercise to to kind of mm, connect those dots, that it's not yeah. just. Somebody attacked and I'm like, okay, these are my two fists, these are my legs, my right. weapons, and and one on one, let's go. But but just a simple switch of perspective, suddenly you realize, oh, there's so much. So sounds like oh, yeah. a great exercise. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Um these are very, very basic questions. I'm sure you hear them so often. So I feel a bit That's all right. 
asking for it, but it's the last one out of this this realm. Uh, knives and multiple attackers was on my mind for a long time, uh, and I love these answers. But then I'm slowly coming to guns, or I mean firearms, which is not very common in my country, barely ever. Uh, but it's a global audience, and at the same time, an important question. So maybe you could say a few words about how does how does it work when firearms are a question what's most important to consider or no? Um, so when defending against a firearm, the most important thing is to avert the muzzle. So the, 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 the part of the firearm where the, the bullet exits. Nice. So that's called, yeah, that's the muzzle. So if I avert that muzzle, so if the, say my finger is the muzzle, right? So my finger is on my head. If I avert it that much, that's a miss. That firearm is no longer in the fight. It's going to be loud. I'm going to probably lose some hair, more hair, but uh, it's going to, you know, because I'm going to get singed. But once you avert the muzzle, you have taken that weapon out of the fight. It's no longer a danger to you. No. So um, that's the biggest thing. It's a mental switch. You have to switch your mental state and realize that just because a firearm's in play doesn't mean it's the end of everything. That doesn't mean that you're outgunned, right? You, um, you know, you're, you're, you still are in the fight. So you have to avert the muzzle and then it's the same principle as the, the knife. Once I get a hold of that thing, I'm not giving it back. Mm. Even if it remains in their hand, I'm going to put both of my hands on that weapon bearing arm and take it out of the fight and keep it out of the fight. I'm going to keep that muzzle averted, keep it away from me and take it out of the fight. So mm. that, that's my game plan. And especially with uh, modern pistol design, they're so easy to malfunction with those slide malfunctions. Um, that will take the pistol out of the fight for a little bit too. So if the gun malfunctions, you know, you can, you can hit the mag release. It'll drop the magazine out. So now the pistol's down to one round only. If you malfunction it, it won't fire that round. So now it's just a club. You know, they, they don't even have a gun anymore. It's a club. It's just a, it's just a useless piece of plastic or metal. Mm. And then you just beat the crap out of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, but you, yeah, that's the thing. So, what's that? Uh, yeah, please, please continue. I'll, I'll ask later. No, no, that's all I was going to say. I was just going to kind of reiterate that. Just remember, man, just avert that muzzle. You avert the muzzle, weapon's out of play. You know, it's not as easy with a knife because with a knife, they can twist their hand and still cut you. But with the gun, once the once you get the muzzle off of you and the barrel's no longer pointed at you, you're safe. Mm. Er. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's crazy. I, I really believe you. I really trust you. But, but what, what's fascinating and interesting for me is that in my mind, and this I'm just beginning to address the firearms question, but in my mind, it always felt like hand-to-hand mm, -hand knives, firearms like it's you know just like oh that's the thing like oh yeah like still oh yeah but it almost sounds like yeah. knife is just worse uh knife is worse wow my preferred <laughs> weapon yeah yeah my preferred weapon if i were in uh within six feet of someone my preferred weapon would be a knife mm. because be it's much harder for them to avert mm. because it's something i almost have it in my mind uh like the answer but but i'm still clarifying in terms of especially on the internet which is a bad place <laughs> a lot of times but yeah right uh, yeah <laughs> but yeah, that, it's, it's, yeah. the internet is evil 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, so the, the some people uh, have this strong belief, like if you want you want self defense, get a gun, get a gun permit, concealed or non concealed, just just get a firearm. And they it sounds like they have this con convinced belief that that's an all solution to everything. You oh, sure, sure. Yeah, the the, pistol, the gun is a magic talisman, right? right? I mean, if I if I pull my gun out, the demons just run away. Sure, you know, it's <laughs> not how it works. Right. You know, right? Yeah, and you also have to think, and I tell people this all the time: if you're dealing with a career criminal, you're dealing with someone who has been a criminal their whole life. Mm. You're not the first person to point a gun at them. Mm. You know, this isn't the first time they've had a gun pointed at them or been threatened with death. So if you think you're just going to pull the gun out and all of a sudden they're going to scatter and run away, you might be in for a rude awakening. Oh. That might not happen at all. You might pull the gun out and they might take it away from you if you don't mm. have the skills to back it up. So you definitely need the balance of having taken your physical skills to the highest possible level as well as plugging in weapons such as knives and impact weapons and firearms you plug those things in at to fill in certain holes but you ultimately are going to be the weapon your your mind is ultimately going to be the weapon and so if you don't have that mentality yeah they they fall into a false uh, sense of security because they believe they have this magical wand you know that they're going to whip out and everything all of a sudden is better and that's not how it works mm. you know mm. so that that's great for me to hear because i as i said firearms is just so foreign to my country um they're oh, not yeah. illegal but but it's just i never grew up seeing one i hold, held one just a couple of years ago first first time but but then that's that's why every time somebody says something about the firearms i'm like oh maybe is this that was that right is that wrong and I would be skeptical about people saying firearm is the all-end solution to self-defense, but then hearing the clarification is makes, yeah. makes sense what you're saying. So sure, I agree that. Yeah, definitely. and then people overestimate they overestimate the stopping power of a pistol. You know, uh, one of my instructors is a guy named Tom Givens. Um, he's been teaching firearms for 45 years, and he has a saying. You know, what do people do right after they get shot with a pistol? And pretty much what they were doing right before they got shot with a pistol. It wow. doesn't change. You know, people get oh. shot with pistols and they're, they live, you know, uh, I, I've arrested guys before that had bullets still in their arm from where <laughs> they've been shot, you know, a couple months before. Um, it just, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a magic talisman. You know, it's not going to... Um, you know, again, that kind of going back to the movies, right? You, you, you don't shoot somebody and they go flying backwards. It just doesn't happen that way. So when guys think they're going to, you know, use a firearm and that's going to be the ultimate, it's like, maybe not, you know, <laughs> crazy. You know? maybe not. That's crazy. It's good to hear. Good to hear. As I said, it's, I guess movies also create so much false ideas and just ideas in general. People sure. tend to rely on ideas too much rather than expert knowledge. So this is great to hear. Sure. Yeah. Mm. A um, couple more questions there are still there. Okay. Uh, one of them is, uh, 
for um, I think for a lot of people it's still not clear, but I think it's for me it's definitely clear. There's a I'd say there's a difference between self-defense and I'm still trying to coin the that that expression, but whether self-protection or self-safety, that self-defense sure. is just it's the physical aspect and. Uh, uh, there's the self-protection, which is so much more around that. So just, uh, so I'm going to ask a question related to that, but, but you basically agree with that message. Yeah. I, I mean, I think self-defense is a part of self-protection, but self-protection uh, encompasses everything from internet safety to how I drive. I mean, I drive in a defensive manner. Um, mm. When I drive, I have both hands on the wheel because my mindset is that anything can happen at any moment. And so if I'm driving with my kids in the car or even drive by myself mm. and I have one hand on the wheel and I'm lounging and I'm looking at my phone with the other hand and I'm goofing off and then some child runs in front of me from a sidewalk and I hit the child, well, then that's my fault. You know, even though the child ran in front of me, it's still my fault because I should have been prepared for any extraordinary circumstance, right? And that's the self-protection mm. mindset of, I'm constantly prepared for something to happen. So I'm constantly playing the what if game. So even driving, I, uh, so to me, yeah, like self-defense would encompass the, the physically, the physical fighting aspects of things, but self-protection encompasses so much more, which is, sorry about the phone. Yeah, uh, okay. self, self-protection encompasses so much more, which is everything from being safe with the internet to driving to, and all that kind of stuff. Even how I eat and what I drink is self-protection, you know, because mm. it, it's preparing me and keeping me healthy. Mm. So nice. So in, in in relationship to that, uh, what would you say to people? What would be your main advice? If you could advise just one thing, uh, either mm. for self-defense uh, and or and self-protection or just self-protection, but uh, what, what, what would be your main advice as an expert for someone who's, who wants to know something about that or, or to just make them safer? Make them safer? Mm. Uh, start listening to your gut. Start listening mm. to your intuition. You know, um, again, intuition is experience, um, education, all those things kind of all mixed together. And they become this voice that speaks faster than our conscious mind that can process. And so what we do is we stuff that voice down. We tell that voice to be quiet because we don't want to be rude. We don't want to uh, appear as if we're paranoid. But sometimes that voice is telling us something because it's true. It needs to be heard. So first off, let's start listening to your intuition. If something doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. Mm -hmm. And there's things happening faster than your conscious mind can process that are warning you, this is not right. So listen to that voice. Every, almost every victim I've ever interviewed after a crime has always said, I knew something was wrong. I knew something was going to happen, that kind of thing. Like they always kind of knew something was coming their way, but they weren't, they weren't really 100% and they didn't just listen to their intuition and, and you know, act on it. And then uh, probably the other thing I would say after that would be, Drink more water, eat more <laughs> nutritious food, you know, and uh, be healthy. Like uh, exercise, get some, get some exercise, get, be healthy, stretch every day, jump every day, run every day, you know, um, 
the, that kind of thing. You're like mm. healthy. You, you, I don't want to, I'm more likely to die of a heart attack than a gunshot. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm more likely to die of some sort of health issue than I am of, of a knife fight. So, mm. you know, I spend all this time preparing for this imaginary ninja knife fight. And then I go, <laughs> go eat like 10 cheeseburgers from McDonald's and drop dead you know, from a yeah. heart attack or clogged arteries. So those, those would be the first things I would tell people, man. Just be good to yourself. Take care of yourself. Take care of your health and start listening to your intuition and paying attention to what, you know, that's telling you. Because you're usually right. You know, I mean, how many times have you had the experience of feeling like, hey, man, I knew something wasn't right about that person, mm. you know, or this situation didn't feel right, you know? Right. Th those are the voices we need to listen to. Nice. So. Cool. Great. Well, just a couple more questions left, unless something serious will pop out from somewhere. But uh, so <laughs> this may this may be a fairly simple one because you you more or less you talked about it. But uh, let's say somebody is really focused on the combat sports aspect of of their functional uh, martial arts sport. Uh, if and there's we, we spoke that the bridge is not the gap is not that big but there's, there is some gap. What would you suggest for a person who's into sports combat uh, or even martial arts, and he wants to learn about self-defense, how self-defense really works, and probably also self-protection, self uh, what would you suggest for that person? Where should he start, or what should, which, uh, what should he do to, to really understand how self-defense works? Um, well, the first thing I would do is I would, I would read a, uh, probably a book called The Gift of Fear, by mm. Gavin DeBecker. It's a really good book um, mm. on just how criminals operate, how they, how violent criminals kind of prey upon the nonviolent, uh, upon mm. the law-abiding. I would begin there. And then also I would look up, uh, there's a man named uh, William April, and he has, uh, there's some uh, posts on, on YouTube of him talking mm. about violent criminal actors, and I, I would uh, find a way to watch those and get a deeper understanding of how do violent criminal actors, how do they, how do, they do what they do? Because mm -hmm. William spends a lot of time talking about that. And then that would help guide my next choice, which would be how to train to address those things. Mm. Cool. You pretty much answered my next question, but unless there's something more, uh, best books or literature for <laughs> self-defense, self-protection. Yeah. So given the Becker... Uh, yeah, Gavin, Gavin and Becker would probably be the first one. Uh, Why They Kill is another one. I can't remember the author of that one. Um, also, uh, Mindset. Um, i trying to think of who that's. Dr. Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. It's a little different for self-defense, but it's about learning. And it's about having that mindset, optimizing your mindset to constantly be thinking about what's next and um, how to kind of rewire your inner dialogue. It's a little kind of off the beaten path for self-defense, but I recommend that to people and they read it and they're like, okay, I get it now. Like I see how that applies to self-defense and self-protection because it makes you start to look at challenging circumstances and situations and go, what can I learn from this rather than why is this happening to me? Wow. You know, which is very important. Mm. Podcast. Do you listen to podcasts as well? Uh, not, not as much as I used to. Um, I, I listen and his, I listen more to podcasts about kind of history 
and that kind of stuff. So I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts about, yeah, I listen to like historical podcasts. I listen to um, health, fitness, that kind of stuff. You know, I'll listen to those Um, business. I'll listen to those, you know, um, this good, good podcast on kind of mind because the mindset of a business guy is really close to the mindset of a, a guy that's in a fight. You have to be constantly willing to adapt and improvise and yeah. and find ways around obstacles. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't really listen to too many self defense uh, or fighting. You well, know, yeah. like on the other hand, you could you could do a podcast about that yourself. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, maybe I don't know. <laughs> no, but I'm yeah, cool. Uh, okay, so one more question came up, and then. I think we'll be done just, and I might have one quick personal question off the record, but sure. uh, so the, the, the last question we came up uh, in terms of something you mentioned in the beginning. So you mentioned pressure testing and myself having a traditional martial arts background, uh, I see, I think a quite a misconception in, in the traditional martial arts world. Uh, they believe uh, that you cannot prepare for, uh for a real setting attack in terms of how can i say this like uh our techniques are too deadly and so we cannot we cannot train form with too much pressure or whatever that they feel like okay you prepare you you do training on the mat and then real life scenario if it happens you're just gonna wing it and you're just gonna nail it uh yeah (laughs) yeah right well, I would say, you know, my answer to that is that um, the martial arts are kind of the only place where there's a penalty to pay if you mess up, mm. where they accept that reasoning. So I went through a ropes course for rappelling and rock climbing quite a few years ago, mm. and we re- we practiced repeatedly tying off and rescuing, like rappelling down tying off, off another climber, tying them to yourself, and then rappelling all the way to the bottom with this other climber hanging on to you. Right. Because you had to know that the technique actually works before you got into a situation. Say you and I are climbing and I get hurt, you know, uh, something breaks loose, I hit my head on the rock and knock myself out. You're going to have to drop down to me or climb up to me, tie me off to you, and then lower us both to the ground. Do you want to be in a situation where your instructor said, well, it's too deadly. We can't practice that. So, but when the time comes, you'll know how to do it. And now you're here on this side of this wall where you realize, you know, every, every foot you go above 35 feet and you drop to the earth, you're going to basically die. Mm. Is now the time Mm. to test this or would you rather have tested it? And the same with driving, right? Mm. You go to a race car school and what do they do? They have these things, these um, jacks, these lifts under the four tires that constantly offset and off balance the car as you're driving, causing the car to do all these things that are going to happen when a car goes out of control. So you learn how to control it so that when it really happens in a race, I mean, do you want to be the race car driver sitting in an F1 car that the car starts to spin out? And you're like, well, my instructor said it's too deadly to practice this. But when it happens, I'll know what to do. And here I am with it happening, and I don't know what to do. Mm. So, yeah, no, that's, that's, <laughs> that's garbage. I don't subscribe to that at all, man. You've got to test it. You've got to test it, you know. 
And in, in terms of that testing, uh, would you suggest uh, to do just pressure testing in terms of attack response, or or would you also encourage because you did you did mention scenarios? Uh, so would sure. you encourage uh, doing some scenarios as well, like uh, really addressing the pre-cues of, of the yeah. attack? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you got to do that. You know, I mean, I, I wouldn't want it to turn into like some really bad play acting, you know, yeah. but just enough to kind of figure it out and uh, and understand that this is how I, I would get sucker punched if some guy was on the street trying to pretext me, get me distracted, and then punch me in the face. Like, this is how it would happen. So, yeah, I would definitely want to test that before mm. it happened to me in real life. You know, cool. so for sure. Perfect. The, those were my main questions. Uh, as I said, I quickly want to just ask uh, something off the record as, as soon as I finish recording. But is there anything you want to add before we finish up uh, the official talk? No, man. I thank you so much for oh, talking to me and asking questions. <laughs> that was fun, man. I enjoyed it. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it so much too. Thank you very much. Cool.